This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions. Because it's time to dish the dirt. On the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And good morning, uh, the zoo chef of the garden, Frank Proctor, here, along with, of course, the star of the show, the uh, lady who is in charge of knocking off noxious weeds. That would be that would be Charlie Dobbin. Hey, Charlie. Yeah, it's the obnoxious Charlie who looks after noxious weeds. There you are, self-described. Mm, might I say, thank I have you nothing much. to do with that. You intro. are the sous chef. Mm. You are the best. Yeah. So let me give the phone numbers, Charlie, so folks can get a hold of you. Excellent. And idea. let me just say, you know, last week I felt bad for a lady in Buffalo who called in. We couldn't get. To her because we ran out of time. So if you're, you know, you're going to make a long distance call from, you know, Buffalo, do it early in the show, okay? 416 360 That's the Toronto line. But anywhere else in the province, it's toll free 1 866 740 Now we've got a busy show coming up. Uh, first, tell everybody the mantra, which connects oh, oh, with oh. what you said prior yes, to the numbers. Indeed. Call early, call often, one question per call. There you go. Perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I've been out in the hall rehearsing that. <laughs> You are very good. Thank you. All right. We do have a busy show. We have a special guest Mm. just to give you a heads up. Carol Dougal of the Home Farm will be joining us. Carol and her husband, Kirk, and their two preteen children moved from Toronto back to the family farm in 2008. So later on in this show, Carol's going to join us to give us a little background on what what that was all about going uh, she's going to share a little bit about what the adventure was has been Ex- all about city slickers moving back to the That's country right. urban cowboys uh, out, uh, hey. out in the, yeah well him anyway not so much her she's she's a farm girl originally okay. but he is he is and still is a bit of an urban cowboy but he's on the farm all right so updates from last week remember we had a caller i should have written down the name of the caller i do have it here somewhere who was asking about that watering gizmo pure rain larry oh, yeah, call yeah yeah it's um it, so I, I went to Canadian Tire and I saw it. Actually, they've got it at Home Depot as well. So <clears throat> here's here's what I think. What's the scoop? The, well, they're claiming, the Pure Rain people are claiming, that your plants will grow up to 30% bigger with the use of this water wand. Which is aerated? It's aerated, exactly. Mm. So that as water is, you know, coming through yep. your tap, it's being broken into tiny little, tiny droplets of water and Air, of course, is is being exposed to the surface area of all those little droplets of water, and then it's coming out to go onto your plants. <clears throat> so I did a bunch of research on this, and I'll tell you, the only scholarly paper that I could find on the subject of, and it's dissolved oxygen is what they're claiming is what it's all about, mm. right? So the only scholarly paper I could find on dissolved oxygen in rainwater being beneficial to plants was published in the Journal of Agriculture Science at Cambridge University in 1915. 
<laughs> so oh my. <laughs> clearly, nobody thinks it's a really big topic. So since then, most research on dissolved gases in rainwater yeah. have been focused on the health and well-being of our streams, our lakes, and our rivers. So, all right. So here, it's a very quick little chemistry lesson here. All right, you know that air is composed of many gases, mm. all right? So air is composed of 21% oxygen, about 78% nitrogen, and a tiny bit of carbon dioxide and argon makes up the other percentage. So that's what air is. When rain falls from the sky, of course, those little droplets of water are falling through the air. Now, think of the surface area on a raindrop. There's no question that some gas from the air is picked up in the water. So mm-hmm. rainwater definitely has, we know, more oxygen, more nitrogen, and more argon and carbon dioxide in it than, uh, you know, a big um, swimming pool does. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the way it is because of all those little droplets picking up. Larger surface area too. Yeah. yeah and being exposed to the mm-hmm. air, there's no question. Some of that gas is dissolved into the water. All right. So people say that their gardens look better after a rainfall. They look happier and healthier and greener and just fresher and whatever. So th- this is where this thing is. Isn't rainwater the best for our gardens because our gardens look so great after rain? So it's all a bit anecdotal because there's not a lot of good, good research. But we do know, bottom line, that rainwater is preferable to tap water. Yeah. No question. It always is. It, um, you know, it. that's why we use things like rain barrels and cisterns. We know that rainwater, like I said, it does contain dissolved gases in it. It is a lovely temperature. It's not full of all kinds of additives like our tap water is, whether it's chlorine or fluoride or whatever. So does that aerated water want actually improve plant growth? I can't honestly tell you. There was also a thought was, well, keep in mind that it's not the oxygen that's making it the plants grow better. It's the nitrogen, right? Because again, air is, mm. you know, like I said, it's 78% nitrogen. Yeah. And of course, nitrogen is a, you know, absolute essential nutrient for plants. So they're claiming it's the oxygen, but could it be it's the nitrogen that makes plants and look better? Be in the, well, yeah. Uh, anyway, because plants don't need, well, they use oxygen to make carbohydrate. You know, it's all, they break down things and rebuild molecules. That's what one of the things plants do. So I'm, I don't know. It's an expensive water wand. <laughs> That's the one thing. <laughs> yeah. Does it work? I would love anybody who's used this uh, to let us know, because I don't know. And I, you know, anybody who wants to give us some feedback, I'm happy to hear it. Okay, one other quick thing. We also had a call from John last week, and he's a fruit tree grower, very frustrated with uh, some of the issues he's been having getting good quality fruit. Uh, so a couple of suggestions for John or anybody else out there who's having problems with lack of what they're finding to be effective controls for mm-hmm. insects and diseases. <clears throat> Go to organicgardening.com. Okay, Organic Gardening is a magazine. It's the Rodale Institute. It's out of the United States, but there's great information on their website. Look under Learn and Grow once you're on their website. Then there's articles under Fruit. So there's a couple articles, one on cherries, one on pears. There's very good advice there that might be of some use to fruit tree growers here in Ontario. Also remember OMAFRA, the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture and Food and Rural Affairs has a guide to fruit production for 2012-2013. So chapter 11 of that guide is all about reduced risk pesticides and biopesticides. So go to www.omafra.gov.on.ca, you know, da-da-da-da. And from there, you'll go to crops. And from there, once you're in crops, you'll go to fruits. And once you're in fruits, you'll, you'll get that guide.
Wow. Okay. Okay. Chapter 11. Both Dave Gaskin and I looked at each other. Chapter 11. Isn't that the yeah, bankruptcy? Yeah, American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chapter 11. Reduced Risk Pesticides and Biopesticides is the title of Chapter 11. Very good. All right. Okay. Good advice. Mm-hmm. Once again, from Charlie Dubbin, the gardener, right here at AM 740 Zoomer Radio. I'm Frank Proctor. We welcome your calls. Or should I, I say, Charlie will welcome <laughs> your calls. <clears throat> Got to watch myself here. 416-360-0740, And Dave Gaskin, our producer, has been doing a fabulous job. The lines are jammed right now. We'll get to your calls in just a moment. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Yep. <laughs> here we are, back on the old uh, front porch here. You were dancing around I that. know, I love that little thing. Anyway, we better get to the phone yes. lines. These folks are going to be all teed off at me. Uh, Martha in Waterloo, welcome to you. Hello, Martha. I'm a regular listener, first-time caller, and I truly thank you for your program. My concern is the um, hydrangea. I have the pink Endless Summer. Mm-hmm. We had a concrete porch repair in the spring, and the man assured me no, nothing would get on the bed, and I was blaming probably something from that that changed the pH in the soil. But I lost one, had very few blooms. A few blooms are coming now, mm-hmm. lots of green. Mm-hmm. But I've learned just recently from three friends that they've had very few flowers this year. Mm-hmm. And I wondered, is this not the summer for hydrangea, or what's going on? <laughs> That's a good question. This is definitely the summer for some plants. Uh, in my personal experience, this is not my summer for hydrangea. My hydrangeas okay. are all green. I have. Uh, what's the um, conspiracy going on? There? I know yeah. what a conspiracy there is. <laughs> well, remember, we're talking about a macrophylla, and like the endless summer is the the ball type flowers. And but see, mine when I first planted them, uh-huh. and it's. I don't know how many years I've had them. They said they bloomed from June through to September. And, oh, they were gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Every year until this year? Yes. Okay. Well, Mm so I was just going to say, I find in my experience, hydrangeas have up years and down years. So though we had a mild winter, it's been a very hot, dry summer. And hydrangeas do not, the macrophyllas do not love the hot, dry. So oh. partly that's probably what is, is affecting them to some extent. Okay. And, and so I, and in your case with the construction and just the, the activity going on around them, don't worry. Just, you know, assuming that the soil was, you know, well uh, replenished with organic material. Well, either... I did that. Okay, but, good. And, and as I said, one we just pitched out, but... um. I I guess I'm just asking what advice you have, anything I should do, fall or early spring. Uh, make sure, again, that there's, there's, the soil has been amended with lots of organic material, whether it's your own homemade compost or you purchase, you know, some manure. Yes. Uh, make sure that, that that's very important to hydrangeas. They love organic material because that helps hold the moisture in the soil. Okay. They like a cool soil that maintains moisture for as long as possible. Okay. So I would, I would do that either fall or spring. Uh, and otherwise, I wouldn't do anything else for the rest of this year. Of course, oh. next spring. 
you'll do some trimming. You'll trim the plants right down to, you know, 10 inches tall, kind of 8 inches tall. Are even you saying fall is trimming? No, I, I trim all I, my hydrangeas in the spring. Yes, okay. Because that understand. way, if there are flowers there, they hold on for the winter. And they're yes. pretty. They're, they're bronzy and they're That's right. ornamental. Yes. So I leave my hydrangeas alone entirely, all varieties, until the spring. And then I do all my trimming then. Okay. And then you would fertilize and or amend the soil with, like I say, good quality organic matter. And let's all kind of cross our fingers that next year will be a better year for all the macrophylas. I find my PG hydrangeas, the paniculatas, yes. are amazing this year. Those, they're just like well, yes, blooming I, like crazy. I'm in a condominium complex and we have some gorgeous white ones. Or, hmm. uh, but this was, I, I just had yeah. to pinpoint what to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, don't worry. I Remain patient, and I think next year will be a whole new year for the for the okay. hydrangeas. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Martha. Wonderful. Thank you, Martha. Thank you so much. From Bye-bye. Waterloo, that color. Well, now mm. let's move along and go a little bit north now to Barry, and speak to. Uh, now I've never heard this name before. It was a lovely name, Delena. Good morning, Delena. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. Morning. Uh, I planted rhubarb last year, and it's come along this summer. It came along just beautifully. I'm told that this time of the year you can't use it to eat, and I'm just wondering, uh, because it's still growing stalks or whatever you'd call them, Mm -hmm. so I'm just wondering how to prepare that for next year. Uh, Did you do any um, harvesting of rhubarb this year? Pardon? Did you harvest any rhubarb this year? Yes, I did. Oh, you did. Good. Early in the season. Um, the reason why we don't continue to harvest rhubarb as the summer pro- continues is that the stalks get tougher and uh, not like not as good tasting. They get more bitter. So right for now, just leave it alone. Let the plant just do its thing. Let it grow uh, through the rest of the summer, fall. Of course, it will get frosted off when we get a good hard frost. And it's either at that point, that's usually the best point, when you would just cut it all down. And of course, remember where it is and be ready to start harvesting early next spring. And when you say cut it down, just not pull it up, just cut it off? Yeah, just cut it off. Don't do any pulling. Go out with your... Once we've had a good frost, the leaves will just collapse to the ground and because it's a big plant and the leaves will just kind of sit there on top of other plants or each other, that's when you just get out your pruners and just snip off uh, as if you would be harvesting that plant, but of course you're not. Whatever you clip off, will be you'll be composting or whatever and okay. leave the plant alone. It shouldn't need any special mulch or anything like that for the winter. Um, just let it be and, and come spring, be ready, like I say, be ready to start harvesting as soon as things thaw and things start to grow. Beautiful. Gee, right. and just Thank one you. one final word, Delena. I I love rhubarb pie. Uh, just you know, <laughs> yeah. for next year, and maybe, maybe keep that in mind. <laughs> well, I make I make rhubarb relish, and it goes oh, beautiful oh. with meat. Oh, oh man, that would yeah, that sounds yeah. good. That's On good. hamburgers, oh yum. Oh, oh man, that Ooh, sounds good. Might get you to send Gee, us that recipe. I haven't had breakfast yet, so mm, now you know you've like done that me. idea. Thank you for the call. <laughs> and thank rhubarb, you so much. Thanks, Delena. Rhubarb relish. Never heard of that before. Oh. Well, on. To another call. Hey, from a town. Oops, we have to take a little break here, don't we? I'm getting the waving. I thought I was being brought into the airport there. I'm getting the <laughs> arm signals from David. Okay, yeah, we do have to take a little bit of a break. And those of you who are new to the show, uh, the phone numbers for Charlie Dobbin here at AM 740 go this way. For Toronto, 416-360-0740. And then anywhere else in the province, it's toll-free. 1-866- 740-4740. And Charlie shall return after these words. 
don't change the radio station. Just because the weather changes, garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. That's that's my cardinal. Ah. Uh. Uh. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I should be in the Busker Fest. Oh, uh, you could. Hello, hello to Joel in Stouffville. Good morning. Oh, good morning, uh, Charlie and Frank. Uh, I have a beautiful uh, maple tree in the front yard. I told Dave it was oak, but I made a mistake. It's, uh, a, it's a maple, and it's about 35, 40 feet tall. Wow. And I just noticed this past week, it has a, a, a white uh, streaks uh, on it, on the bark. I've never noticed that before, and I, I sure heck wouldn't want to lose the tree, so that's why I got on the phone. I noticed my neighbor across the road has a smaller red maple, and it has a lot of this whiteness on the bark. Can you tell me what that is? Okay, so this is a, something on the surface of the bark that yes. is probably lichen. Well, I do have the blue-green lichen on there, uh-huh. uh, which is, it has been there for years, okay. and which I thought I was told was normal. Yep, it is. But the whiteness, I think it's the first time I've seen it. Does the okay now? Does it look like that whiteness is something that's growing from inside the tree out through the bark? Well, no, I scraped it and it's just on the surface. Okay, and it doesn't look like it's dried sap or something like that. Has it? Does it look like it's dripping from somewhere in a crack no, in the bark? No, it's in. It comes kind of in the lines and it makes kind of like a circle, like a snaky kind of thing, and and. Uh, it really has got me baffled. One of my neighbors was a groundskeeper at a golf course, and mm-hmm. I called him over, and, and he said I, he didn't know what it was either. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Frank hmm. and I are looking at each other. <laughs> well, it's a good question, because, you know, I have a Norway maple. Is it a Norway maple, do you know? I don't know. It has okay. leaves as big as your hand. And when does it turn color in the fall? Oh, it sure does. Okay, so it's not a Norway maple then. That's good. Because uh, I have a Norway maple in my backyard, and I've been having some issues with... Uh, and so I've been reading up on, you know, what happens why these things happen to, to particular plants. Now, right. since you don't have a Norway, I won't get into the details of some of the problems that they have. But anytime you see, it's like so, sometimes rot will start inside a tree for one reason or another. And that's when we'll see fungus, we'll see actual mushrooms growing out onto the, the bark, to the outside of the bark. Right. Uh, when you see something white and if it's got kind of a filmy look to it, it does make me feel like there could be something fungal going on, but you're saying, no, it doesn't, it doesn't appear to be, it's not like a webby sort of a thing. It's no. And it's kind of crispy and crunchy like a, like a lichen or. Uh, it, it's hard to rub or off. Uh, it, like it won't rub off, but if you pick it up with, like, with a small knife or something, it's just, just, just the surface of the bark. Hmm. Oh. I bet you it's just another kind of lichen. Oh, I hope so. You know what? what? An arborist. I was going to say, yeah, one of two things. One is take a photograph and email it to me. Okay. There's that. The other is call an arborist, a certified arborist, to come and look at it if you're concerned, because there's no question you don't want to lose a 40 foot maple oh, off your it's property. Gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. Oh, I tell you, not only gorgeous, but depending on whether it's creating some shade for your home and helping you save money in the yeah. winter and the summer, uh, it's doing all kinds of wonderful things in terms of lowering the temperature and right. attenuating the, the water, the you know, storm water, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I think if you were listening a few weeks ago, I talked about leaf.org. There's a wonderful little tool on there that you can crank into the, this little tool your tree, the size, oh, okay. uh, where it is in relation to your house, and it'll come back and tell you what that tree is doing for you and the environment and the cost to replace it. Well, and great. even my horrible 
problematic Norway maple, which is on the north side of my house, is an $8,000 tree, according to this Ooh, wow, uh, this wow. uh, little um, gizmo. You know, it's, a, it's a neat tool just to see. It really puts a real value on trees. It's a wonderful tool. Well, I, so, I put my arms around the trunk, and my, I can't get my fingers to touch. Wow, that's, that's a good-sized good tree. Yeah. That's a, probably older than 40 years. Yeah, but the house is about 45 years old. Yeah, wow. So I wonder if it, is it far enough away from the house that it could have been there, do you think, or was it planted? Well, when the house you know, was... it might have been, uh, because it's, it's the biggest tree on the, on the street, so it hmm. might have been one of the originals. You know? Yeah, it could because if it's a hard maple, you know, like a, a red maple or a sugar maple or one of those maples, they're slow growing, and to have it that big yeah. does take a number, like, you know, that's big. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, we, you know, we listen to your show every week, and as soon cross. as I saw that, I said, I've got to get a hold of you. Yeah, so do that. Send me a photograph, and then we'll see if, what to go, where to go from there. Thanks for your help. Thanks so much Thanks, for your call. Thanks, Joel. Bye-bye now. Uh, Pleasure bye-bye. talking to you. Here's my email address, actually, okay. just while, mm-hmm. while I'm thinking about it. And, Joel, if you don't have it, my first initial C, my last name, Dobbins. So C-D-O-B-B-I-N at am 740 CA. And uh, just one more thing I wanted to mention. <clears throat> we had a caller last week, and I can't remember who it was, but she was talking about lily leaf beetles and the fact that she was able to control l- the little horrible red beetles that destroy our lilies with a product called King Bug Killer Dust. Mm. <clears throat> and King Bug Killer Dust is a rotenone based product. And at the time, I said, oh, you know, good idea, wonderful, just be careful, wrote known, keep it away from the water, it's very, very toxic to the fish. I did get an email from Lynn Marie Sullivan, a master gardener who I know in my area, and she brought up a good point, and that is that um, King Bug Killer Dust and any rotenone-based product is no longer allowed to be used in Ontario uh, for, in, for cosmetic purposes. Um, rotenone is available for specialty situations, but for the purposes of lily leaf beetles, it's technically completely against the law to be using rote known products. So the uh, that's the the bottom line with that. So, so you almost get somebody in trouble with the law. I, is what happened there. I, well, yeah. I encourage somebody to break the law <laughs> yes. or continue to break the law. So I was completely wrong. So thank you for pointing that out. And, uh, and thank you, Lynn Marie, as well. <laughs> but but um, for Lily Leaf Beetle... Uh, you know, I think neem oil, N-E-E-M, neem oil mixed with water might be one of the better. Uh, same with Japanese beetles, right? It's picking, picking, picking and squishing, picking and squishing, neem oil. Those seem to be our She just two loves the picking and squishing best, part, I just tell you. Best ways to control <laughs> okay. those rotten beetles that are eating things. The Charlie Dobbin Show, right <clears throat> here on AM740. And hey, we have our special guest, I do believe. We do. We have Carol Dougal on the line. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Charlie. Carol, this is Frank. Hi, Hi Carol. Frank. Hey, I was telling Frank a little bit about you, but let me just l- t- let our listeners understand how I even met you, Carol. Okay. Um, I was a judge this past year with Communities in Bloom for the community or the municipality of South Huron. And Carol is a member of the Communities in Bloom Committee in Exeter. Well, for that whole group, actually. You live in Exeter. They're outside Exeter. Yes. And, uh, and Car- when I left, myself and my co-judge left the community after spending two days of seeing all the wonders of South Huron, Carol sent us out the door with a little bag of spelt berries or spelt kernels and a wonderful recipe for a salad, a spelt berry salad with cranberries and carrots and parsley and all kinds of good stuff. And I made the salad. I loved the salad. Emailed Carol, went, oh, that's such a good salad. And, uh, <laughs> and then spent a bit of time trying to find more spelt 
salt berries or kernels in the Toronto area. But uh, but we certainly had fun when we were in your community. So thank you again for uh, bringing uh, the Communities in Bloom group into Exeter and into South Huron, Carol. Oh, you're welcome. And you, uh, had, when we met, I was hearing a little bit about your backstory. So I just tell our tell our listeners a little bit about what brought you back to the farm and, and the fact that you, how long you were even off the home farm. Well, I left to go to university, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I haven't been back um, since then. We've been we moved from Toronto to the farm, back to the home farm um, four years ago. And you went to university when? Uh, graduated in '82. So went in the late '70s. Yeah. So from the late '70s till 2008, you were just a visitor to to your parents' farm. Yes. And then in 2008, something happened. Yes, we moved back. You moved back. Your husband, on the other hand. Yes, and my kids. <laughs> and your kids had never lived on a farm. No, no. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and you were Toronto people. Yes. Very urban. Yes. And, and my husband's born and raised in Toronto. Yes, even though he did have a great, 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 great grandfather who was a potato farmer. Yes, he was a Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got good farming way, way, way back. <laughs> so how's the urban cowboy hubby do- dealing with the farm? He loves it. Yeah. He loves all the toys. Oh, there you go. Like, what kind of toys? Like, the machinery and stuff? The machinery. Yeah. Yes. The tractors. Yes. Oh, good. And and he's handy. You mentioned he's very handy. So yes, he's able he to fix things and... Yes, because lots of things break. Really? <laughs> yes. When you back up a big bin wagon full of wheat and the... Um, you get the angle wrong and the hitch breaks off, Ooh. then you got to fix it. Oh, boy. So he can weld and everything? Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. He is handy. Yeah, this guy's good. Yes. That's great. Yes. So, so Kirk and yourself and the two children who are just like they're preteens, basically. Um, Virginia had just graduated out of grade eight. Okay, so high school. Yep. And, and Sterling was going into grade six. And how do they like the farm? Um, they love the farm, um, but the transition of making friends was... Tough. Yeah, it's a hard age to move. Yes, yes. But it was the it was it was the time to do it. Yeah, starting those new yeah grades and stuff. Yeah, you couldn't do it in the middle of high school. How, how big is your uh, farm there, Carol? Um, it's a hundred acres. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a good sized farm. It is. And and do you have like hired hands or is it no. just Kirk and you and the kids? Yes. Wow. Yep. yep. And most of the land is rented out. To my cousin next door, mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to go organic, right. and my dad has done research into organic farming, and probably you know ten years ago when I started talking about it, and he was afraid I would lose the farm because that was a possibility you know ten years ago. Right, because of the costs of going organic and then not being able to recoup those costs. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. But times have changed in the now, last 10 years. I'm, you know, for the rest of the listeners like me mm-hmm. who are totally ignorant of all these things, what's the difference between organic farming and regular farming? Inorganic. Oh, inorganic, <laughs> yes. Thank conventional. You. Yeah, yeah, conventional. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, we um, conventional farmers will use fertilizer and sprays. Uh-huh. And we use um, compost, um, manure that's been... Um, tre- not treated, been aged yeah. mm-hmm. so that it's um, natural. And so that's what we use. And then we also use green manures. Like we planted wheat last fall, and then in early spring we're out there uh, spreading clover <laughs> so that when the wheat ha- is harvested, the clover will come up, and then we will plow it down, right. and it, it um, feeds back into the soil. 
That's what a green manure is. Green manure is a crop that you grow, not necessarily to harvest, usually typically just to plow it back in and add good organic material to the soil. Yes. I thought you were out there feeding prunes to a whole bunch of cows, but no. <laughs> obviously not, no. no. And you don't, do you have any animals on the farm? Like, the, like you have to bring in your composted manure. We bring in our composted manure. Yeah. Yeah, at the moment. Um, but we have uh, 97 hens, laying hens, mm. and, um, and cats. A, the cats. <laughs> the cats to keep the foxes away from the hen house. Yes. And, uh, no, the, cat, the, the chickens are in charge. If the, the uh, cats get too close to them, the oh. chickens will attack them. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. I, I'm scared of chickens. Feisty I, chickens. They, they are, they can, those little beady eyes. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be collecting eggs out there, I'll tell you. So who collects the eggs every morning or whatever time of day you collect them? Um, Kirk and I do, and, uh, and we kind of do it during the day because they don't all lay at once. Right, right. Yeah, you probably don't have enough places for them to all lay at once. No, no. So, all right, and so tell us a bit. So, that's interesting. All right, so we've got the eggs, and, of course, you're probably selling the eggs? Yes. We can only, they're organic eggs, mm-hmm. and we can only sell them at the farm gate. Because we don't have quota, we are not allowed to sell them anywhere else. Right. See, this is where farming gets a little political. We start getting into the right. quota, yeah, what yeah. you're allowed to sell or not. So how do you do it? And, and how many we can have. Really, yeah. 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 Wow. So, so folks get to know your farm that you've got the eggs, the organic eggs, and line it up, I suppose, for those. Yes. Well, we, we need to put a sign out at the front, but it's just been word of mouth at the moment. Hey, good. Yeah, yeah. So this is a real, just a building operation that Carol and Kirk are doing here. This is a, a bit, and it's a process, right? This it is. It is a process because it takes three years to become, certi- to get a field certified organic. Well, let's get you more business. Where, where's your exact well, address there? Well, first, let's, <laughs> what other, what, tell us what, uh, what else you've got under cultivation besides uh, some of the land being rented to your cousin and the laying chickens. Well, we have uh, wheat. And uh, field corn, which mm-hmm. is for cows. And both of the wheat and the corn are organ- certified organic. Yes, they are. So if I went to my local butcher and bought organic beef, then it would have been fed perhaps some of your organic corn. No, no. Uh, well, it might be, yes. Yes, it might be. If you're certified organic, um, beef, usually you do mostly grass-fed. Oh, right. Because the, the cows are built, because of their four stomachs, yeah. uh, are built for the grass. Right. So who might eat the corn? Um, yeah. Well, it could be used for uh, feed for the chickens mm-hmm. or the pigs. Right. So. Silage? Do they make it? Does it go into silos? I guess eventually it would have to once it's been... Yes, it taken could off be. the field. Yes, it could be. How has how did your how do your crops look? How what's your harvest going to be like this year? Do you think? Well, we've. I'm, I'm hoping it'll be good. Yeah. I'm looking for more rain because we're right. dry again. Yeah, you're, we're dry here too. We're yeah. really due for rain. It's just parched yes. in the Toronto area. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then I also have a garden. That's right. So tell us a little bit. This is like a market garden type garden. It is a market garden, and I do the Exeter Farmer's Market. You're the president of the Exeter Farmer's Market. Yes, I am. You are a busy woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell us about your garden, your market garden. Well, um, I grow stuff, and then whatever comes up, I uh, take to the farmer's market and sell. So things like lettuce and broccoli, sweet and potatoes. Spinach and tomatoes. Um, peppers. I have, yes. Yeah. And I've had peas, and yep. I've had beans. Oh, are your beans done now because it's just too hot? Um, no, I have some, but I don't, um, I don't take them. 
I haven't gotten to them. You know, it's tough when you're supposed to be planting because every two weeks you got to be planting That's stuff right. so it comes up. That's right. And then I have to be harvesting stuff, and then when I harvest stuff, I, I have to be freezing it or I have to be, you know, making it in tomato sauce. And, it, you know, this time of the year, it just gets really busy. Oh, no kidding, because everything's happening at once. And, yes. and when I spoke with you the other day, mm-hmm. prior to you coming on the show, you had been baking all day and were planning to bake all night. So tell our listeners what you're doing with the baking. I take it to the farmer's market, and, and, and I bake three kinds of cookies and um, one kind of muffins, and then I make two pies. <laughs> two pies, two kinds of pies, every every week. Yes. Carol, it's, when do you sleep? She doesn't. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Between midnight and six. <laughs> <laughs> I know, what a life, eh? Wow, that's great, though. But do you love it? Is this, is this feeling like a lot better than the life you had in Toronto? Oh, yes. Yeah, better yes. air, better everything. Yes. yes. One, yep. one, if I may, and yes. this this sounds like a silly question, but not really. Years ago, when I was doing some acting at the Huron Country Playhouse in Grand Bend, oh yes, I used to travel through Exeter on my way through to you know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm sure it was Exeter that I saw signs for the albino, the white squirrels. squirrels. Yep. Yes. Yep. Now, are they? I never saw one. <laughs> Neither yeah. have I. They supposedly exist, but yeah. I've never. You have- them. <laughs> do you? Are they the, really there? Yes, we do have them. My gosh, they, okay. I've seen a, a stuffed one, but I've never seen a live one. <laughs> they do supposedly exist, though, in Exeter and all around there, but it's Exeter's um, uh, the mascot. The main hub. Huh? Yeah, it's the hmm. mascot, the white squirrel. All right, so back to, as Frank said, let's talk a little, people who might want to come and buy yeah. from your farm gate, uh, mm-hmm. how would they find your farm? You know what? They wouldn't because I don't have a sign up. There you go. And I'm not on the local map either. <sighs> Time to get on Kirk on that. Yes. Or we, the kids. We need yes. to get you into marketing a little bit. Yes. Yeah. She's too busy harvesting <laughs> and baking. She's got no time to make signs. But but I hope, you know, Kirk and the kids are listening. So that'll maybe maybe be a job for them. In the meantime, the farmers market is in Exeter every single Thursday, isn't it? Yes, it is. From two to six. From two to six, right Main Street, just off Main Street. Yes. Yes, right beside the Trivet Memorial Church. Right, which is a very big, obvious landmark right in downtown Exeter. So every single Thursday, you are president, you are there. Yes. You're selling baked goods, you're selling whatever you're taking off, off out of the garden. Yes. And the um, so every Thursday, right through till the end of October, I think you yes. said. Yes, yes. There you go. So yes. anybody who's traveling in that area on a Thursday must Go to the Exeter Farmer's Market and say hello to Carol. She'll be the one with all the baked goods (laughs) and the wonderful produce, and And, she looks exhausted. And she'll be pointing out the white squirrels. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's terrific. That's great. So thank you so much, Carol. You're welcome. Thank you. And uh, and I did look on the web. If you do um, Google Exeter Farmer's Market, it does come up on the web in about three different spots that are kind of community pages. Mm -hmm. So certainly that's another way if anybody needs to get information on how to find to the farmer's market in Exeter. Do it that way. All right. Well, thanks again, Carol. Wonderful to talk to you and best of luck with Thank all you. your things you got going on and <laughs> get some sleep at some point. Yes, I will. Come, <laughs> come November. All right. Pleasure talking to you, Carol. Right. Thanks. Nice meeting you all. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a nice gal. She's great. And, and uh, wow, busy. I know. Gee, makes me feel guilty. Uh, as it should. Well, yes. Uh, and actually, one of the websites is www.localharvest ca. If you put in www.localharvest.ca and then it'll ask for either what community you live in or your postal code, it'll crank out farmer's markets, organic food stores.
stores, whatever, within any kilometer area from your home that you want to know. So that's not a bad little website to bookmark. Localharvest.ca. Okay. I'm, I'm at uh, PE, uh, Pearson International, getting the arm waving from our producer, <laughs> Dave Gasco, uh, saying uh, it's time for a little break here. Okay, Rita, hang on. We're coming back to talk to you next on the Charlie Dobbin Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than we do realize. And should little creatures become a big problem? Well, then you've got the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, saying hi to Rita. I almost flipped Rita when I saw on the screen here. From you're Brussels. From Brussels, <laughs> I thought. That's a long-distance call. No, uh, you're around the Wingham area, right? Yes, I am. Very good. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, Rita. Good morning. I've been uh, trying to explain where we live. We are about 35 miles east of Godreach. Everybody oh, knows oh, Godreach. Oh, yeah. No, okay. that is. And you must be dry, too. Oh, are we ever. Oh, I was out there a month or so ago, and it was just bone dry then. Yes, and as I said, I feel as though I've got a, a hose at the end of my hand. I've been walking my garden all And I bet you're on a well, too, aren't you? Yes, we are. Wow. And you're okay? There's The water's been holding up? Yes, it has. Excellent. Yes. So what's um, going on? I have red maples. We planted them, got them from the nursery, planted them about 10 years ago. And every year about this time, they get mildew. Mm-hmm. Their leaves just get all mildew and they drop. They don't all drop. Mm-hmm. But, oh, I'd say maybe a quarter of them drop and just... Yeah. How many... Uh, well, you're calling them red maples. They have the red leaves or the purple leaves? Yes. So uh, they, are, they are actually Norway maples. Um, the red leaves, that variety is called Crimson King. Yeah, so, I think it is, yeah, right? Yeah, so it's not actually a red maple, it's a Norway maple, because red maple actually is a different kind of maple. So you actually have a Norway maple, the Crimson King's purple leaves, and did you line them up the, the driveway, or you've got quite a number of them? I've got two, and I've got a, a regular uh, hard maple, sugar maple, yep. and then a red, and then a sugar, and a red, and a sugar. Oh, nice. So what is going on, and this is something that, again, Norway maples are famous for, they tend to become very, very dense. The, they've got lots of little branches, lots and lots of leaves, and of course, maple leaves are big, so there's a lot of shade going on within the canopy of the tree. Plus, with all the heat, and there hasn't been a lot of wind, we do, and we had some serious humidity the last uh, few weeks, what is happening is that the air circulation is just very poor up inside the, the crown of the tree, and that is that is literally a, a powdery mildew that's growing on the surface of the leaves oh, yeah. because of the high humidity and poor air circulation. How do you avoid it in the future? This is where, uh, you know, somebody who knows how to properly trim trees could do some thinning of the canopy of the trees. And they would do that actually any time sort of now right through till October. Just open up that airspace. That's right. And it's, it's yeah. because they get so dense, uh, the branches and the leaves, it, and, you know, it's lovely shade. There's no question yeah. below. But that we do end up seeing some fungal diseases. And that tar spot are those black spots we see on some of our Norway yeah. maples. And maybe some your Crimson Kings gets that a little bit as well. But the powdery mildew is that superficial white stuff on the surface. And again, just a, a fungal disease brought on by cooler nights, high humidity, um, actually longer nights now, as well as cooler nights, and then the high humidity and poor air circulation. So thinning the canopy is the best way to deal with it, ultimately. You're not going to spray those trees. They're way too big. Well, these aren't that tall yet. I can still spray these. But But you spray to prevent when it comes to fungal diseases. You don't spray when you see the problem. You 
spray to prevent the problem. So what you would have to do if you wanted to try that is next summer, as we're getting into sort of mid-July and the humidity starting to increase, is that's when you would start doing some consistent every seven-day spraying. I see. Just to avoid the problem coming on. But you think just, just thinning it out, thinning the canopy out would be a... It would make a big difference. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Charlie. Thanks so much for your call. Have, okay. a, have a great day, Rita. Listen to you every week. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. It's uh, 947. Let's uh, get to the line here in Mount Hope. And there is Lois. Hi, Lois. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. I have a sign in my front garden all across my ranch bungalow that says uh, I'm losing my impatience. Yeah. <laughs> I've lost them. I know. I've never had a year quite like it. Uh, my impatience from the same boxes on my deck are beautiful. Oh. But uh, and did you... I had to pull the uh, ones out the front out the other day. They were all straggly with just the odd flower on the end of them. That's right. And they basically just kind of collapsed one day, didn't they? Yeah. They just uh, were looking okay, and Although then all of a sudden... they really didn't do all that well. I replaced a lot of them during the summer. Oh, did you? Yeah. And I've done this. I've been here 15 years. Every year, my daughters put all these impatience in for me, and uh, this year was was a dud. Tell me, oh. did did she purchase the impatience from the same location that are in those two different locations on your property? Some in the boxes, some in the ground. Are they all from the same crop of impatience? Mm, there probably are some mixtures. Um, yeah, the reason I ask is because what you've got going on there is a virus, and okay. you didn't cause the problem. It actually likely was on the plants when they were sold. It was just nobody recognized that this virus was oh. in existence. And this is, a, this is really ultimately going to have a big impact on our impatience, the use of impatience in our gardens. It used to be, and probably still is, the number one bedding plant sold across North America. But, um, but now with this collapse, this virus, virus that just causes the impatience to look really good, but then not really thrive. They don't really take off like we expect them to. And then all of a sudden, July, they hit the ground. Uh, Then we know that um, once that virus is in the soil, in your garden, it will be there for many years. So what you'll have to do is avoid planting impatience there for the next couple of years. Oh, dear. Go with something else that, if it's a shady area, is shade tolerant. It could be... Uh, yeah, that is. My don't get sun at the front until sort of afternoon. Yeah. So you might want to try some begonias. Yeah. There's different, you know, fibrous and tuberous begonias. You might want to try coleus. Yeah, um, I've got those in there as well, and oh, they're yeah. fine. They're fine, I know. So that's the one really unfortunate thing is that they're, this the impatience are... Because I actually don't normally grow much impatience, but I put a few in this year just to fill a couple little corners. And they looked so good when they went in, but then they didn't really do much. And then absolutely in the last week, they're just going. Well, I know going. the ones out the front, she got the, um, you know, they were gorgeous from um, Fortino's. Oh, yeah. I've uh, forgotten what their varieties called, but. Yeah, they always have done well. I know, and it's something that, like, it's it's very hard for the retailers certainly to recognize this problem when they're little plants coming into the stores, and growers are doing their best to try and avoid this problem. But it's it's something that it comes from the original stock. You know, it's like the the people that are growing the little tiny plugs of the impatience that are then grown on by the growers are are spreading it around without even meaning to. It's too bad. Also, do you know anything about a petunia called bubblegum? Yes, I've heard of it. 
Uh, was... My friend got these tiny little plugs with two flowers on them, uh-huh. and she has one plant has uh, in a pot has got a diameter of about oh two over two feet, yeah, two to three feet, just the one little plug. It's a it is a new bubblegum's a new, and I think it might even be it's not it's not a wave petunia, but it's it's like a wave. It grows like a wave petunia, yeah. but it's pale yeah. pink. Only Instead I think of, it's prettier than the wave. Yeah, I was gonna say the, all the waves tend to be kind of in your face colors, and the the bubblegum is much prettier. It's a new one that oh. she's obviously gotten a hold of that from somebody who was this, testing this it or came just came from Niagara, so maybe next yeah. year this region will get them. That's right. So keep we'll keep our eyes peeled for that bubblegum petunia because you're right. We're not going to be growing much impatience. No. Okay, <laughs> Sorry well, about thank that, you for Rita. That, and I won't buy impatience for the front. Thanks okay, so much, Lois. Lois. Thank you very you. much. It's uh, 9.51. Got to take a little bit of a break here and come back to talk to Charlie Dobbin. Uh, that would be Karen in Kitchener. Hang tight there, Karen. We're coming back at you. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Yes, and uh, the master gardener, Frank Proctor, here, (laughs) along with the sous chef of the garden, Charlie Dobbin, because the subject matter is nematodes. Karen in Kitchener, good morning and welcome. Karen asks her question. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, uh, Frank. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Okay, um, we have a major grub problem in our front lawn. Uh-huh. About three years ago, we laid down uh, some that lawn-type fabric, mm-hmm. like um, fabric, yes. before we laid down new sod. <clears throat> and it did great for a while. I remember when I first called uh, and asked you about that, um, there was a bit of trepidation. Yeah, exactly. That, it actually turned out okay. quite nicely okay. until recently. We, my husband discovered that we have uh, grubs, mm-hmm. and we went and bought some uh, nematodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my question now is, um, will the lawn fabric affect the nematodes penetrating the, the Fabric. Soil? This is a great question. Um, have you applied the nematodes yet? No. No. But they're in the refrigerator? Yes. Good. So... But is it's probably very dry at your place, isn't it? Just it's like extremely. it's dry everywhere. And is it a big lawn, like a big area? Um, about five hundred square feet. Okay, so it's a pretty. It's not too big to to deal with. Frank's gonna just tell you because he's got the notes in his hand and he's very <laughs> proud of his knowledge about nematodes. Well, okay. Uh, what he thinks you should do to proceed? Yes, I think you should apply at dusk or on a cloudy day in the nematodes. First, right? you're gonna water well, yes. your lawn like crazy. Yeah. Water, 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 water. Didn't water. I say that? I'm sorry. No. Yes, water that water that lawn really well. Then it, apply. At dusk, at dusk, or, or on, on a cloudy day, right? Because you don't want to, yeah. you don't want the heat, you don't right. want the hot sun beating down on the lawn, because you want those eggs to stay moist, mm-hmm. and in your case, you want those eggs to get down when they're still eggs through the fabric. Right. So then you water, water. immediately again. And in your case, yeah. you're going to saturate. You're going to water more than the average, and okay. continue with that H two O for several days. 
That's several, what, several, sorry? Uh, several days you have to continue to water okay. to make sure those nematodes are doing their work. Mm. <laughs> those eggs have to hatch, yes. and they, mm. they won't hatch, and they won't find the grubs unless they... See, they're carried in the water when they're just little eggs, okay. and then even when they hatch, they're tiny, tiny, tiny little things, but they are literally carried in the water to the grubs. Mm-hmm. So that's where the water level is so important. Moisture is so important in an area where you're trying to be effective with nematodes and grubs. So the, the lawn should never dry out. Uh, and how long does it, um, should we continue watering? What does it say there, Frank? Well, it continue for several days. Several days. Yeah. So, you know what, you've got mm. about a week, a week there. Yeah, okay. got about a week. Now, I'm not suggesting you turn it into a swamp, but it has to be moist. Like in all cases, it has to be moist. But in your case, even more so because of the fabric that's in between. You've got to get those nematodes down through the fabric. Okay, um, do you think we should take up the fabric? No, I, they should go through. Just see, water part, water drops go through the fabric. The trick on the fabric is weeds and things are not supposed to be able to grow up through. So, okay. you know, it, the water will go through and the nematodes will carry in the water. I see. Okay. They're wee tiny things, yeah. They're really tiny. You, uh, you won't they, see them with uh, the naked eye. Okay, I was just going to ask, are they microscopic? They are microscopic. Okay. <laughs> well, really, yeah, I was, you know, I don't want to put it on there and, and not have them penetrate the, the soil. That's right. So follow all the instructions on the package. And like what Frank has said here as well, the moisture levels and the when to apply, uh, that is all on the package as well. Okay, one final question, please. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Do you think we should wait until, um, you know, we, we get uh, into rain or... Well, there is rain forecast for this coming midweek, like Tuesday, Wednesday in my area. If you look at the long term, and it looks like there are some di- some rainy days coming, okay. then absolutely yes. That For most of us, that is going to be the best way to use nematodes in our gardens. And this is the time, so your timing is perfect. The only trick is that our, our, the land is so dry, it's a waste of money to put those nematode eggs out onto dry dry land. So if, you, you know, if you're on city water and you can hook up a hose and it's like you said 500 square feet it's reasonable to keep it moist uh, i would go for it but if it's just crazy you can't keep it moist then wait till rain excellent okay. well thank you so much all thank right. you karen proving to me that even thank though i thought i knew something i don't know all that much thank about you for your call nematodes. well come on well a little know. bit a little bit yeah a little bit <laughs> now have we got time for one more call only if we go really fast okay and rush along here from st Catharines. hi and good morning Hi. Morning. Good morning, Charlie and uh, Frank. I'll rush along. Uh, uh, your uh, program is excellently informative. Thanks. And the previous caller helped a lot. Oh, good. The thing is, it's about lawn. I called you about the bent grass. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the lawn is aerated in the spring, mm-hmm. and I overseed it myself with topsoil and seed. Mm-hmm. Now, it's because of the problems of the summer, mm-hmm. I've been recommended to uh, aerate and overseed again mm-hmm. in, in the fall. Mm-hmm. Can I uh, skip the aeration in the fall and just overseed, or should I do the, uh, the, the two? Uh, is your soil fairly clay or is it more sandy? Uh, it's it's clay soil, but we've been watering throughout because of the bent mm-hmm. grass. Mm-hmm. You know what? That was, that's a really good question. Can you skip the aerating in the fall? Yes, you can, but if you're on a clay soil... 
and you can afford to aerate this fall, I would do so. Because that what the aeration will do is open up those clay particles because clay is very, very fine and it tends to be very dense soil. So aeration will open up that lawn so that your top dressing, your overseeding will be even more effective this fall with aeration. And, and do uh, aeration again in the spring. You shouldn't have to this spring. You shouldn't have to. If you do it this fall and the top dressing and overseeding, you should be good next spring and not have to do it. I see. Okay. All right. Thank you. And I'm sure we... I combine the topsoil and the seed and I uh, um, spread it by hand. That's okay? That's perfect. All right, Charlie. Thank you. Thanks, Anne. Thank you, Anne, very much. We're really tight for time here, and I appreciate you scurrying along and getting all that in. Yeah. Meantime, Thank Charlie, you, Frank. great you, show. I know. You You were very, very good there. You, you tried to get right onto that nematode thing, and I you're just know. learning so much, I Got tell you. Got to go back to school, though. Soon you won't be the sous chef. <laughs> You'll just be up a notch. Oh, oh gee. <laughs> thank you. David, thanks, uh, thank David, you. for all your help, and thanks to all the great callers. Wonderful questions this week, and I hope to get lots more next week. See you then. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.